to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. Brought to you by FunkinStuff.net, this is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, Truth Seekers, and Truth Crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funkin' Stuff merchandise, and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership funk and soul singer Martha High. Best known for her more than 30 years of touring, performing, and recording with the godfather of soul himself, Mr. James Brown. Having opened on tour for Brown in 1964 as a member of the vocal girl group, The Jewels, she stayed on and went on to work with JB all the way through the mid-1990s. Recording her first soul album in 1979, High went on to release several sets of first-rate funky soul that continued right on up to present day. She's also worked on projects by others from Brown's camp, such as Bobby Bird, Lynn Collins, and Maceo Parker. In 2017, she released her autobiography, He's a Funny Cat, Ms. High, My 32 Years Singing with Mr. James Brown. Her newest album is yet another fantastic collection of funk and soul gems. It's called Got My Senses Back. Martha? That's right. Yes. Hello. Hi. How welcome. are you? Thank I'm you. Good. Thank you. It's nice to be with you this evening. <laughs> It's good to have you and all your senses back. Ah, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know, after after the pandemic, I I, I think that um, a lot of people had a problem with uh, trying to figure out what to do, where to go, who's do, who's what, who's who, who. Yeah. So now I've got my senses back. It's time to to get back to to work and 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 start getting busy again. 
Well, we're all trying to make sense of, sense of things and, and yes. common sense is always in short supply. So that's all good. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, let me uh, correct um, uh, something. I, I heard you say that um, I was with the uh, started with Mr. Brown in 64. Is that what you said? I said you were on tour in 64 and then 65, I think, is when you... 60, 66, we, we joined them. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. For Excuse that. me. I was, I, I heard wrong. <laughs> uh, or maybe I, who knows, but we got it straight now. That's the yeah, main thing. Absolutely. So Martha, where are you coming to us from today? I'm in Augusta, Georgia. Ah, that's the, yes. the, the bedrock right there. Where it all began. This is where it all started, you know, so. Yeah. yeah, we uh, well, when I first joined with Mr. Brown uh, with the Jewels, and we uh, this, our first trip was to um, Augusta, Georgia, uh, at his office uh, here in Augusta, Georgia, and then from here, uh, then uh, he moved his office into New York. So, um, so like I said, it all started here for us. Wow, and you grew up in D.C. Is that right? I did. Um, I I was born in uh, Victoria, Virginia, a small town um, southwest of uh, Richmond, Virginia. But uh, yes, born, uh, raised in in Washington D.C. And that's mm. where my career started. And I met the Jewels, the Four Jewels, and uh, and you know the rest. <laughs> yeah. So you guys had uh, the one hit opportunity, and yes. then you made an opportunity out of that, I guess, to kind of launch your career. So uh, what was it, um, you know, that sort of ingratiated you with James Brown from the get-go? Well, um, we, um, as you said, we had a, a, a song out called Opportunity, and it went um, nationwide. And um, meeting him at the Howard Theater, uh for the first time, I, I've seen him, I had seen him many times before that, but um, I think that he, uh, when he came to the Howard Theater while we were performing there, you know, uh, and during the time that we were on the stage, uh, we heard a lot of noise in the audience thinking that we were really cutting up and doing such a great job, you know, but we found out that Mr. Brown was in the audience. So anyway, he came to our dressing room and that's when he told us that he really loved the way that we performed. And uh, I think at that time he had never had a female uh, group of singers on his, on his show, you know? So I think, um, after having, um, uh, well, Vicki Anderson was on the show and Bobby Bird, uh, James Crawford, um, uh, TV Mama, different places, different person, people like that. And um, all of a sudden, you know, he just, I, I guess he probably just said, okay, let me give this uh, girls group a chance. And he chose us, which was great because he not only saw us at the uh, Howard Theater, but it was also in um, uh, at the Apollo Theater in New York. Yeah, so I think that made the difference of uh, being a female group, a vocal group, you know, and he just wanted to add uh, something different. And, of course, we had the uh, record out opportunity, opportunity, and he really liked the song. Yeah. Did you know early on in your life, I mean, you got an early start, but, you know, what point did you know that you wanted to make music a career? I, um, I think it was... It was around uh, the during the time that I was in, in high school. Um, I was about 15 or 16 years old. 
And before I joined the Jewels, the Four Jewels, I had formed a group of my own. And one of the young ladies, uh, her name was Ziella Gay. She was um, um, Marvin Gay's sister. So her and I started the group. We added another young lady with us. We didn't have a name at that time. But um, we just, you know, started singing. And I, I didn't really feel that I was going to go any further. You know, I, at least I, I wasn't thinking that way. I was just enjoying the moment, you know, being with the girls. And we were harmonizing very well and having a good time together. We did some sock hoppers hops at school, talent shows, you know, so it was fun, but still not thinking uh, about making it a career. Uh, my, my father, <laughs> my father didn't really agree with me being a singer. He just said, no, um, no, I don't think that's going to work. I think that you need to have a job like everyone else, you know, um, in the, in the, in the future. But I, I don't know. I just kept at it. We kept on rehearsing. And then we met um, Bo Diddley. And Bo Diddley took a liking to, uh, to us. And we started going to his, um, his home. He had a studio there and started rehearsing there. And again, that's where I um, made contact with the Jewels too. Now, they went to the same school as I did, but I really didn't know them that well. I had seen them and heard them, you know, because they had um, local hits around Washington, D.C. So and never thought that I would ever become a part of them as well. But uh, I think I think I was about uh, 17 when I really felt like, OK, you know, I think this is this is going to work. Uh, not still real sure because um Still hadn't met Mr. Brown at that time, but I did join Mr. Brown. We, we joined Mr. Brown when I was 18 years old. And that's when I really decided, okay, yeah, this is the life. <laughs> this is where I want to be. This is uh, it because it was a, a much higher level than what we were, you know, how, how we were performing. So, uh, yeah, I was, I was ready then. I was ready. Had you seen James Brown perform before you actually were on the bill? I did. I did. And I was mesmerized. I was mesmerized by his, his, his movements and how fast he was on his feet. Uh, it, he was just uh, something I had never seen before. He was amazing. You know, so I, um, I was a big fan of his. As, as well as uh, now working for him at 18 years old, I was like, oh, my gosh, I cannot believe this. You know, so <laughs> it was um, it was amazing. Yeah. But I had seen him many, many times um, before that. I had traveled to um, Baltimore, uh, Baltimore, Maryland, to see him at the um, Royal Theater as well. You know, and then he used to perform at. Um, the uh, beaches in Washington, D.C., well, not in Washington, D.C., but outside of Maryland, the Cars Beach and, um, oh, my goodness, it was another one. Um, I can't remember the other one, but I know it was Cars Beach that I had seen him there several times. So, yeah, big, huge fan. <laughs> Do you recall the first show that you opened up? and like where it was and, and how you felt? Yes. Um, with Mr. Brown, is that what you're saying? Or, yeah. Well, uh, I, you opened for him first, yes, right? Yes, we did. 
Yes. Yeah. So the first show opening, you know, where you shared a stage that James Brown also came out on. Yeah. Uh, it was at the, um, it was at the, uh, um, let me see. I think it was the Royal theater where we started performing. We did the, uh, it was called the theater circuit at that time where you would start uh, performing at the theaters and it was one behind the other one. You would stay at the, um, at one theater a week, and then you go to the next one for a week. And from there, we went to the Apollo, the Apollo to the Regal Theater. And um, that was that was uh, quite amazing. And we had only signed up to do the theater circuit. But after we finished all five, um, because it was, um, the, uh, there was um, the Royal Theater in Baltimore, the Uptown Theater, in uh, Philadelphia, the Apollo in New York, the Regal in Chicago, and the Howard Theater. So we, um, we, we performed at all five of the theaters. And after that, he, he approached us and said that he would like for us to stay on the road with him. So that really told me right again, that confirmed me wanting to, to continue you know, to be uh, a singer and make it as a career. When he asked us that, I was like, oh, okay. If Mr. Brown, if James Brown asked us to stay on the road with him, we must be doing something good. <laughs> Did your father become a believer at that point? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it took him, I think it took him a couple of years before he really uh, said, okay, you're good. And that was, um, he came to the show in Richmond, Virginia. Uh, when we performed there, it was about two years later, and he came to the show there. And uh, after the show, when he came to my dressing room, he just kind of sat there, and I could just really feel his eyes on me, you know, and he was just looking, staring at me. And when I turned around and looked at him, he had this big smile on his face, just staring at me. And I said, Dad, uh, what are you thinking? What's up? Was everything okay? And he said, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, you're pretty good. <laughs> and I said, well, thank you. I, I'm glad to hear you say that. He said, yeah, yeah, I enjoyed that. You were re really good, really good. So from that day on, he was very supportive. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So when you joined James, that was right around the time frame when like Papa Don't Take No Mess was kind of breaking it. Was that sort of like? The era? Yes. Um, Papa Don't Take No Mess. Uh, it was, um, you know, I, I guess all of his songs at that time was just, um, was just a big thrill for me because now I'm on stage singing the songs that I've heard on the radio. It was just a thrill. At, at, at 1966, Mr. Brown was at his peak. At least I think so. And so it was, uh, he had so many songs that was just amazing at that time. You know, he was performing Please, Please, Prisoner of Love. Um, I Lost Someone. Um, it's just so many, you know, so many great songs at that time. Yeah. So it was, um, it was just amazing. Yeah, it was, um, I, I, I was still... I think um, it took me a, about a year and a half to really like, okay, okay, I'm here. 
and and I'm I'm performing with the Godfather of Soul. Well, at that time, Mr. Dynamite Soul Brother Number One, you know. And during that time, that's when the um, the young ladies, after a year and half, year and a half, they decided, oh, I don't think I want to be on the road anymore. And that was like, what? Are you joking? We're out here with the God uh, with the, the Soul Brother Number One, and you want to go home? You want to quit? So they did. Uh, they went back home, and I um, I just decided to say, Mr. Brown. You know, I would like to stay on the road. I don't want to leave. I don't want to go home. And he uh, just turned around and said, I didn't fire you. You stay out here as long as you want to. <laughs> so that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you, uh, early on, how did you find your sort of lean or slot, you know, in the, in the stage performance that he was doing at that time? Well, you know, um, while I was singing with the Jewels, uh, I was always in the background. I was a background singer, and I, and I, and I felt that I was really good doing that. You know, um, it wasn't until I joined Mr. Brown that I started uh, lead singing. He gave me a song uh, to lead when when the, we were out there together. You know, the Jewels. Um, I, I he gave me the song um, "Don't Mess with Bill," and Oh my goodness, when he told me, he said, um, is that when you leave? Don't mess with Bill. And I was like, oh no, 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 no. I I, I can't do that. I'm a I'm a background singer. And he said, yes, you, yes, you can. You can sing it. And I was like, okay. And I was I was really frightened, but uh that I could actually say that was my debut of uh becoming a solo artist uh, to start singing with uh, Mr. Brown at that time, you know, to lead uh, Don't Mess With Bill. It was a very popular song at that time. So I, I, um, I tried it and it worked and it went over very well. And uh, from that day on, I think I started uh, singing other songs because right after that, I think right after that, that's when the, uh, the other girls went back home, you know, and I stayed with him. So I started singing Don't Mess With Bill. But uh, Vicki Anderson was out, uh, out on the road at that time, and she was actually uh, the female vocalist out front, you know. So I started backing her up and uh, doing some work, uh, you know, backing um, Bobby Bird and, um, and uh, Vicki Anderson and also TV Mama. So I started doing background, that, but I wasn't on stage with them. He had me in the background, uh, off stage, and I, I didn't mind because uh, I, I know my voice had, was being heard. And um, eventually, he had to put me up front because everybody was asking, "Well, where's this other voice come coming from? You know, is this a a recording or what's going on? You know." So it was a lot of questions asked, and so he had to end up putting me out front with uh, with uh, Vicky. <laughs> what, Martha? What was your like early impressions of James Brown? You know, like when you kind of in your first you know, meeting, first time meeting him and maybe, you know, the first year or so. And I'm sure it was probably intimidating. I'm thinking just because of his stature and all, but um, you know, what did you think about him at that point? You know, when I, when I, when we first, when we started working for him, uh, we didn't exactly have a relationship with him, you know, of, of speaking to him and seeing him because he was 
always on the go. He was moving a lot. And um, all of his messages to us was through um, his, his manager, you know, if he wanted to tell us something, he would tell Mr. Ben Bart, you know, let the girls know this and that, this and that. Um, and then sometimes he would call us to his dressing room and, and, uh, tell us that he, uh, he think that we were doing a, a very good job. And I was, I was, uh, yes, I was intimidated. I didn't know how to take him. I didn't know, you know, exactly what kind of person he was. Uh, we were always meeting him in his dressing room. And, and when we come in, he was he always doing his hair and, you know, maybe look back and, and talk and he'd give us a smile. Um, he was very cautious, but, uh, and that's, you know, he said, okay, ladies, and I talked to you, yeah, lady, nice seeing you, you're doing a good job. Keep on doing what you're doing. And that was about it, you know. So that lasted uh, for about, I guess, maybe about six months, you know, that we wasn't really uh, in contact with him that much, you know. And then all of a sudden, uh, he uh, invited us to go to to fly to New York with him uh, because he wanted to take us shopping. It was like, oh, what? You know, go, go shopping with James Brown. Are you kidding then we did. Uh, we we um, we traveled with him to New York, and that's where he was uh, living at. And we actually went to his home and and stayed there um, for uh, like a week. I think it was like a weekend or three days or something like that. He did take us shopping, bought us new uniforms and everything. And so uh, then that's when we began to feel like we were really apart of the show because now we're we're talking to him he's not at the theater and he's 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 more settled and um asking us questions and wanting to know about who we are as a person and everything so that was that was quite a um a change for us and it made me feel more comfortable uh working with him and not just feeling like okay we're just here to be on the show we're not going to uh, know him as a person, but yes, we did get to know him and it was, it was great. It was good. <laughs> it was, um, it felt better. You know, I felt more relaxed, uh, working with him and, and then, um, <clears throat> and then, uh, later through the years, I became his hairstylist. So I had to constantly travel with him. Ooh, that was different. <laughs> <laughs> what what year did that begin? Mm -hmm. What year did you start doing that? Uh, that was so like uh, nine, in, in the eighties. That was in the eighties. I started uh, uh, working, you know, with him and doing his well, doing his hair. Uh, he had um, a hairstylist out by the name of Henry Stallings, and uh, sometimes he wasn't there, and I had to travel with him to do his hair. So that was uh, that was quite an experience, and that's when I really got to know him. And even, well, it actually, in, even before that, he, uh, he and I became very, very uh, uh, close because I was the only one that was left from the jewels, you know, and he seemed like he uh, really took to me and sort of like cared for me like a father, you know, and he would always call my mother and father <laughs> And tell them, you know, not to worry. She's fine. She's out here. We're working. And, uh, you know, when I was coming home, 
uh, what I was doing out on the road. You know, it was like, why are you calling my parents? I'm old enough, you know, but he, that's what he did. And he, uh, I felt like he was like a father figure, a, a brother, as well as my boss. Yeah, so it was, it was cool. When, when did you first get to go into the studio? It, um, well, we actually started uh, going into the studio um, as the jewels. When we came out on the road, we went into the studios with him to record. Um, we recorded an album with him uh, called Ain't That a Groove? So we were, we were on that album with him. We did back uh, backup for him on that album. And he also took us in the studio and we, we recorded a song called um, um, Smokey Joe, Smokey Joe's. And um, we recorded This Is My Story. We recorded um, Papa's uh, Mama's Got a Bag of Her Own. Um, Oh, gee, it was another one. Uh, it was another song. I can't remember. But anyway, yes, we recorded those songs with him during the, uh, in 1966 before the Jewels left. And it was, it was, it was quite a, uh, it was different to, to record with him because um, uh, what I noticed that we wasn't doing as a group, you know, before we got with Mr. Brown, we were recording as well. We had some songs out and um, going into the studio with Mr. Brown, everybody was in the same room, you know, all of the musicians and, and that we all sang, we had a, um, a microphone in the middle of the floor and he was on the other side, you know, so we were all in the room. So the, the, the difference in recording then and now is just totally, totally different. So that was that was fun to me. That was exciting to me because um, he he was again an altogether different person. You know, he was really, really uh, very, very serious when he went into the studio. But he also liked to clown a lot with the fellas as he performed, as he uh, you know recorded. So um, I think. The way that he did it, I think it made everyone comfortable with what they were doing, you know, to to perform with the, their music and everything. So it was cool. Yeah, well, you can, I mean, it's in the recording, so many of them with the call outs and, you know, yeah, all the, 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 the loose and fun vibe. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You were, uh, I mean, shortly after you came on that scene, uh, music changed a lot. And I mean, James Brown was, you know, one of the creators really of funk um, yes. and music changed so much in the late sixties and funk got really hot and really big. Mm -hmm. What was your take on that? You know, and did you realize that it was like basically the birth of an entirely new thing? Well, you know, uh, listening, uh, listening to his music before, um, I, I joined him. I know that there was a change, you know, once I start hearing him, uh, his music on the radio and everything, I was like, wow, different feeling, a, a, a very, very soulful feeling, something that you felt inside of you and then everything like that. And I think that's why I was just um, really, really uh, 
thrilled, overwhelmed uh, when I joined him because here's a man, here I am with this gentleman that has has created this sound that was so different than everyone else's music, you know, and his his uh, his performance was was different than everyone that I had ever seen seen, you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. I knew it was uh, it was something different, and 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 then when my family and friends found out that I was traveling with the uh, uh, the Soul Brother Number One, they could not believe it. You know, I couldn't believe it either. But it was so; it was happening, and I I felt good uh, because I was a part of this new music that everybody is just having a fit over, and and uh, to see the people in the audience and how they. Uh, uh, you know, reacted to his 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 performance was just again. It was crazy. It was really crazy. You know, so it was uh, it was very special to be a part of that. And uh, you know, I really I really start. I mean, it's, it was a long time and many years that I was with him. But when Mister Brown passed, and I started. Um, just kind of like looking at some of the footage and the and the CDs and uh, the shows that I had been with and everything, I was overwhelmed. You know, I was just like, oh my God, I I've been with this man since 1966. And all of this music that I I've you know recorded with him, performed with him. And all over the world, I've traveled with him. It, you know, I, I was like, my goodness, wow. <laughs> and now he's gone, you know, and that just, uh, woof, was really a hard pill to swallow. Oh, yeah. yeah. I just watched again. I've seen it multiple times. But um, the uh, night that I think this is the night James Brown saved Boston or whatever it's called with after the uh, MLK. Yeah. Uh, yeah, were were you at that show? No. Oh. No, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Amazing though. Yes, it was. It was very amazing. I I watched um uh, from home and um you know it was just yeah for for someone to do the uh, to quiet the storm as you can say it was just amazing. You know it was. Uh, a time that you you could never forget that because it could have been uh, a disaster. It could have been worse and everything. He's not only did that there, but uh, it was Washington D.C. and it was California, you know. And yes, he had that um, that connection uh, where he could he could do this, you know. Yeah, I mean, people. I think a lot of people don't realize or they forget or whatever, just how big he was and what a cultural icon and just how successful. And I mean, just an amazing level of achievement. Yes. And even when the Pope met him, the Pope was excited, (laughs) you know, and I mean, that's saying a lot, you know, to meet the Pope and the Pope is just as excited and, and um, knew who he was and everything. So that was, it was amazing. He was an amazing person. It was, it was quite a journey to be with him. Were, were you around uh, during the time when um, 
some of the, the, the band left and, and Bootsy Collins and his brother came in. And well, I was, I was there and uh, when I left um, and that was in 69 and 70 uh, that uh, Bootsy and them joined him. And that's when I wasn't there. I was with child. And so I was um, at home, but during the time that they were with him, they came to Washington, DC. And that's where Mr. Brown recorded doing it to death. And uh, I was I was at the studio. He called me and had me to come to the studio. So I recorded uh, the background. I did the background to doing it to death. Um, um, make it funky. You know, so uh, him, uh, well, myself and his wife, Didi. Yeah, her and I did the background. Did you get to meet uh, Bootsy's brother at all, or any of that band? Oh yes, I, no, not at that. Yeah, I met them at the uh, at the uh, studio, but uh, then later on through the years, I met them. You know, the, they were actually they were in um, L.A. But I, yeah, I've met them many times. I I I know them very well. As a matter of fact, I've recorded at um, Bootsy's house uh, during the time with. Uh, Bobby Bird, Vicki Anderson, uh, Lynn Collins, and Marvin and I, we recorded at Bootsy's home in, in Cincinnati. But yeah, I know them very well. And um, uh, I, I thought they were fantastic, but I never had a chance to work with them while they were with Mr. Brown. Because okay. after they left, I, I, I joined him again. But you worked some with, well, I know, uh, if not at the time, subsequently, you certainly have quite a bit with like Maceo. Oh yes. And, uh, what what can you tell viewers about Maceo as a person and as, as a talent? Amazing, a wonderful person. I I uh, right after I left Mr. Brown, I joined uh, Maceo uh, in the year of two thousand, and I worked with him up until two thousand sixteen. He is an amazing person. Um, I mean, his his. He has a sound. He has a sound that no other a saxophone player has. Uh, he's he's a, a, a perfect gentleman, uh, great to work with. Um, and we worked. We really did work. I think uh, when I first joined Maceo through the year, you know, the first time in 2000, we were work. We were working at least um, 200. 265 days out of the year. I mean, that's how much we were working. It was just amazing to work with him. And um, it was it was a different experience working with him as to uh, Mr. Brown, because um, uh, uh, Maceo, it was more relaxed. You know, he he knew what he wanted to do, how he wanted to do it. Not saying that Mr. Brown didn't, but he wasn't as strict as Mr. Brown <laughs> with his musicians. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, he was uh, very flexible. He was very comfortable in what he was doing. And um, he was open to a lot of uh, things, you know. So his music, uh, it, was, it was just a great experience to work with him as well, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> I think so that band uh, did that include Skeet uh, on bass and Greg Boyer also on uh, uh, Greg Boyer it was a trombone player yes and um, Rodney uh, Curtis on bass 
Yes, 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 yes. The yeah. best bass player in the world. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm, I think I'm one of his biggest fans. <laughs> he, he is totally amazing. And uh, Bruno Spate, uh, the guitar player, he was, he was, he was off the chain. <laughs> So the musicians, you know, to work with them was just extraordinary. It was just a, it was a different feel. You know, his Maceo's music was very funky and uh, very, very uh, just well put together. It was just great. It was great working with those musicians. Um, there was a gentleman by the name of Dennis Rollins that worked with us from out of uh, England London, well, not London, but I know he was from England. So that was um, an experience. It was great. Yeah. Um, yes. Maceo is my favorite sax player ever. You're, I mean, nobody sounds like him, like you said. And I played alto sax as a kid. So, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then my other favorite horn player has got to be Fred Wesley. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, tell, us, yeah. tell us about Fred a little bit. Well, Fred is. Oh, he's just the most beautiful person you would ever want to meet. Very, very kind. I, I, you know, Maceo, Fred Wesley, and Pee Wee Ellis, you know, they, they worked together. So all three of them just had the same uh, um, persona about them. You know, they were just very uh, fine gentlemen, uh, very good musicians, and, and uh, very, very, uh, it was very comfortable and easy to work with them. Uh, Fred Wesley is a very, very close to me. Uh, you know, he's a very close uh, friend of mine. He only lives about um, 20 minutes from me. Well, no, not 20 minutes now. Well, when I was living in something, South Carolina, he was like uh, about 20, 30 minutes from me. Now he's two hours away from me. But him and I still keep in contact and I still work with him occasionally. You know, we do, uh, we have shows together at times uh, overseas and um, I worked with him just recently at the, um, uh, the theater in the supper club, the Bethesda Jazz Supper Club in um, Bethesda, Maryland. I worked with uh, Fred a couple of months ago, so it was great. And yeah, he's a, he's a, he's a fantastic uh very, very, very intelligent, smart man, you know, when it comes to this music business. <laughs> and just a, an amazing arranger and yes. uh, no one plays like him in my mind. No. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So. And uh, did you get to meet, uh, I mean, I'm sure you met him, but did you have much contact with uh, folks, obviously Bobby Bird, what can you tell us about Bobby? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and yes. I um I toured I did uh, a a few tours with uh, Bobby Bird uh, overseas. I've done a, a tour with him and uh, his wife Vicky Anderson, uh, along with Lynn Collins, and then also with Mom Whitney, uh, Vicky, Vicky Anderson, uh, Mom Whitney, Lynn Collins, and myself. We went on a tour with Bobby Bird as the Kings Queens. So we, you know, of course, we all worked with Mr. Brown. So we, we, uh, uh, for that particular uh, tour, we were the Kings Queens, and it was Bobby Bird, uh, uh, Fred, Fred Wesley, Maceo Parker was on that uh, tour, Bruno Spate, um, 
uh, Jerome Preston, you know, which was uh, Maceo's uh, bass player at one time. And it was just amazing. Uh, it was an amazing tour. And, um, and then again, I, I went again with him on the road, um, overseas again, touring with um, not only uh, his wife, but his daughter, Carlene Anderson. Uh, she was with us at that time. And um, again, Marva Whitney. So I did tour with uh, Bobby uh, several times. The great thing about it, uh, you know, I, every every time uh, we talk about some someone that has been with Mr. Brown and and you want to know how they are, how what kind of people they are, they're wonderful people. They they are. Um, I don't know. They they're the best that um, I've ever worked with, and I admire them all. You know, because they were just all genuine people. They were all musically inclined and uh held their own you know so it was uh it was um a blessing it was great to to work with them through the years yeah uh, of course uh james brown is notorious for you know being strict as a band leader and finding guys if they you know miss their cue or whatever was he just as strict with you as a vocalist or did he give oh, you a little more slack no absolutely no no wasn't no <laughs> All of us, uh, all of us went through that, you know, like uh, he was very particular about how we dressed. He um, he designed our uniforms. And and when I say, um, well, yes, he designed when the jewels were out there, he designed our uniforms and had them made. And uh, when they left and I joined him uh, as a solo artist, well, I was I had the. Um, the pleasure of, of choosing my own gowns and everything, you know, but uh, he would tell me which gown he would want me to wear, you know, on the show that night or, or certain nights and, or something, you know, is I wear this, wear that black one you had on the other day. I like that, wear that, you know, or something like that. And then through the years, uh, other, other female artists, uh, other female singers joined me and uh, they, we were, different groups. I had one time I was called Martha and the Lasers and uh, the um, Sugar Bees. And the last group, it was the Bittersweets. And uh, all through that time, he he uh, chose all of our outfits, you know, uh, had them made or he bought us different gowns and everything. And so so with the um, the band, he was very particular about how we dressed and we had to step up to the plate and keep it, keep them, uh, keep our shoes shined as well as the band. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> he, uh, yes, I, I've gotten fine too. I had a five, my biggest fine was, was $500. I got fined for $500 because I didn't, at this particular uh, time that we performed in San Francisco, I thought we were off that day. So I just went out and had a good time. You know, I left the hotel, didn't tell anyone I was going anywhere. And I just went out. I, I'm a big bingo fan. And I found me a bingo poly to go to. And I, <laughs> I just stayed there, enjoyed myself. And I got back to the hotel about, I guess, about uh, 8 o'clock, 8.30. And I got out of, out of the car, out of the taxi, and I heard the music playing. <gasps> Oh my God, what is going on? <laughs> so I don't know how fast, I don't know how I got to my, my um, uh, hotel room as fast as I did and got dressed. It seemed like it was only about 15 minutes. 
But I got down, by the time I got to the stage, uh, the show was over. And I, I was just like, I didn't know what to say or do. And um, one of the band members said, where were you? What happened? And I said, well, I thought we were off, you know. So anyway, uh, I just long story short, when Mr. Brown came back for the second show, I, I was downstairs and dressed and ready to go on the stage. And he uh, he approached me and he said, uh, <laughs> he said, is that where were you? And I said, Mr. Brown, you won't believe this, but I thought we were off and I decided to go to the bingo game. He looked at me and looked down to the floor. He said, "Is high. Where were you? And I said, honestly, I was at the bingo game and I had no idea. And he said, all right, $500 fine. And I said, $500? And he said, if you say anything else, it's a thousand. And I was like, <laughs> okay. So he said, go on stage, go ahead on stage. And I saw, I went on the stage and I was like, oh my gosh, $500. So he took the money out of my pay, but he gave it back to me a week later. <laughs> so. That was um, that was my biggest fine, but I've had some uh, smaller, but uh, I was able to 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 work it out uh, and get my money back. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I had Don Tiger Martin on the show a while back, and he told some amazing stories about, you know, that kind of thing. And, yeah. you know, but you were with. Mr. Brown for so long, you know, uh, you did take some time off, like you mentioned to, to have a child and so forth, but overall, I mean, there's so many band members that came and went and they had their little run-ins and yeah. fell out and fell back in all that kind of thing. Yes, yes. How was it, you know, what was it about you and your relationship you think that allowed you to, you know, stick with it so long? Well, you know, um, I now, you know, a lot of people com complained, a lot of musicians that left and, and possibly came back or just left and didn't come back. Uh, a lot of them complained about uh, how he handled the band and, um, you know, his 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 ways. I mean, I think that um, a lot of uh, musicians and singers uh, that are at the same level as Mr. Brown they have their ways, you know, and um, I don't, I never really felt that he was, he was uh, unbearable or just a bit too much. You know, I think that when he find uh, the people that he find, he had his reasons, you know, um, Mr. Brown had a very, very good ear. He had a very good ear and he could tell when we were on stage who would mess up. And as many rehearsals that we would have, I think that he just felt like, you know, all of the rehearsing that we do, you know, you should know your part, you should know what you're doing. And, um, and I think that's why he would find people because Mr. Brown was known to give, so, to have so many rehearsals. You know, we have performed at the Apollo Theater or or at some gigs, you know, where after the gig is over, we had to go back on stage because there were mistakes made and he 
and he wasn't pleased. And he would rehearse us after the show. You know, our sound checks were like uh, a show because we had um, long sound checks. It was like we were performing on a show. So he was very, very um, um, strict about uh, performing very, very, um, uh, you know, we, like I said, we rehearsed a lot. And so when he gave the fines, you know, some some guys didn't like it and everything. And I, I, I mean, I didn't like it, but I, he fined when he fined me that five hundred dollars is because I didn't make the show. I missed the show. So it was always something. It wasn't just just because, but it was always something. So he had his reasons. And um, and I think that that's why he was Mr. Dynamite, uh, soul brother number one, the hardest working man in show business, because he was persistent and he wanted always his shows to be the best. So we rehearsed, we rehearsed a lot and um, and we had to wear certain outfits. You know, I, I think that uh, some of the band members didn't like the, the, the suits uh, that he chose for them, but hey, it was his show. So why not just uh, just wear the, if you didn't want to wear the, what he wanted us to wear or if you didn't like the rehearsing, it was best to leave because that was James Brown. You know, that's what he wanted. And I, um, I don't know, I think that Mr. Brown took to me as he, like I said, he took care of me. He treated me like I was his daughter after the jewels left. And I was just there alone uh, with him. And, uh, you know, I did some background behind stage when the, um, when the, um, um, the flames were still out there, I would do some background uh, in the back and off stage with them. But um, I don't know, he just took to me as, um, as like a daughter figure. And he, he well, pr protective, protective of yes. you. Yes, he was very much so. And, um, and I just, uh, I was just there with him a long time. And I, I've gotten to the point where I was, um, I was fed up with certain things, you know, that was going on. And I, I would leave. I would leave and I would come back. <laughs> I'd leave for maybe, maybe about a month or two. And then I would come back. And um, But yeah, I end up staying. And then um, maybe about 15 to 20 years before he passed away, I started uh, uh, actually being his hairstylist. So I, I worked with him that way. And I, and I got to know him very well because I had to travel with him even when we wasn't on stage, you know, I, I traveled with him to do his hair and um, uh, I'd go on vacations with him and his family, you know, to just to do his hair and everything. So I got to know him pretty well. And he, he really, he really looked after me. I, I was like, like I said, I was like a sister, brother, um, father figure to me, you know, he, he just really took care of me. Yeah. And so I, I end up being with him for 30 some years. <laughs> That's certainly a, a badge of honor of some kind, I think. Yes, it is. It is. I, I, I don't think, um, I don't think I would change anything if I was to have to do it over again, because like I said, his strictness, um, um, it was only as far as the show was concerned, you know, he had, he had other ways of, um, certain things, you know, uh, personal things like, um, band he didn't want uh any 
relationships between the singers and dancers and the band, you know, things like that, because I think that um, he didn't want any conflict, you know, or anything to to um, in, in interfere with uh, working on stage. Yeah. Did you ever see him make a mistake on stage? Yes. Yes, I but did. Uh, he, I'm get, was, was he smooth enough where the audience probably didn't very, notice it? Oh, very smooth. Yes, yeah. very smooth. Uh, um, he, uh, now, as far as like working with the mic, you know, he <laughs> there were times when he dropped the mic or something like that, you know, but I think uh, everything else that he did, you, you wouldn't even notice that, you know, you wouldn't even notice it. But uh, yeah, yeah, he, he's uh, went into uh, certain songs and uh, he had he had sort of like a pattern of how he did his songs. And uh, you had we had to keep our eyes on him uh, if we didn't. If he felt that you wasn't watching him, he would actually change and go into another song just to <laughs> just to see you make a mistake. And that's when he look over at you and he'll do this. Because he know he know that uh, that you're supposed to be watching him, and so you know he he'll make a move in a minute, and if you didn't keep your eyes on him, you could miss it, and that's where the fines come in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How how did you get a sense of how he felt about the competition? in the like, let's say seventies when other acts started really doing a lot of funk also um, because it seemed like at least on the outside, he uh, wasn't very accepting of a lot of them, you know, and would say they weren't as good or, you know, and it was sort of like an ego thing maybe. Um, well, you know, yes. Um, he, he, he always felt, you know, he created that you created the funk. So I think that he felt that when someone else would uh, uh, create their music and come out with a funky sound or anything like that, he felt that maybe they should have come to him and got his directions or, you know, his help or something like that. Because I was with many times when he had approached um, different uh, groups or artists or something like that. And, and he would say to them, you know, uh, I, you know, I like your music, but you should have come to me. You know, I can help you. I can, I can do this and I can do that. And, um, you know, that's how he felt. But I, uh, the artists themselves, you know, like, I think sometimes they felt like, I don't, I don't need your help. You know, I don't, you know, I don't mind doing something with you, but I'm not helpless to the fact that I can't create my own music, you know? And I, I, I think that's, I think that's how he was feeling that he, he felt that he needed to help everyone. <laughs> but he also wanted to blow everyone else off the stage too, right? Well, yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, you know, he just uh, felt that he was the best. <laughs> he was the best. And, um, and him being out there so long and everything and, and then uh, gained the name of the Godfather, you know, I just felt, it just felt like he supposed to help everyone and every, everyone supposed to uh, 
respect him and uh, come to him. I guess. Yeah. That's my thoughts. <laughs> you know, I could be wrong, but that's what I saw. That's what I felt. There's much more to this great Truth and Rhythm interview. Just continue on to the next part of the episode. Also, be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. And become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.